This is Digital Health Today, Episode 5. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Now, here is your host, Dan Kendall. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 5 of Digital Health Today. In this podcast, I speak with a leading champion for health innovation, Dr. Ben Marathapu. Ben is the co-founder of the NHS Innovation Accelerator and was the first person for British healthcare to be included in Forbes 30 Under 30. He currently serves as the senior fellow to the CEO of NHS England, where he advises on 100 billion pounds of national health spending. That's over 150 billion U.S. dollars. He has a strong interest in research with over 80 peer-reviewed publications and over 50 awards. Ben's work has been featured by BBC News and International Press. He is the chairman of the UK Medical Students Association, and he has authored three medical education textbooks. He was educated at Oxford, Cambridge, and Harvard universities. And even with all this activity, he still fit in some time to speak with us about the innovation of healthcare in the UK. Ben explains the myriad activities and programs in place throughout the NHS, and importantly, he provides some insights on the best ways to access the resources that are available to support healthcare innovators. We discuss the activities and the success of the NHS Innovation Accelerator and the pathway to commercialization that it has opened up for its first class of 17 companies. Very soon, at the end of May, the second round of the NHS Innovation Accelerator is opening for applications, so you'll want to tune in to hear more about that. You can get the full show notes at our website at digitalhealthtoday.com slash five. That's the number five. And be sure to go there to get a copy of the free resource Ben has provided, which summarizes the variety of innovation activities taking place at NHS England. While you're there, please click to subscribe to this podcast. And I really appreciate it if you can take just a second to provide an honest review in iTunes. Subscriptions and reviews are the lifeblood of podcasts. And I can't express my appreciation enough for you tuning in and giving your feedback. If you have a new solution, product, or service and are looking for ways to bring it to market, you're going to want to listen to this episode. So without further delay, let me introduce Dr. Ben Marathapu. Ben, thanks very much for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dan. Ben, I've just shared a little bit about your background. Can you fill in some more details about what you're doing now and maybe give us a little glimpse into your personal life? Okay. Well, um, so I live in St. John's Wood in London, and I grew up in North London, I'm Sri Lankan by background, but was born in the UK. So I spend around half my time practicing as a physician currently in emergency medicine. And the other half, I spend advising the CEO of the NHS, whose name is Simon Stevens. And I particularly focus on innovation, technology and prevention. I was involved towards the end of 2014 in developing, co-developing our five-year plan for the NHS called the Five-Year Forward View, which set forth how we tried to address some of the key challenges that the health service is facing in England and in turn have been focusing on delivering that vision and that plan, specifically establishing several of our key programs in innovation technology and prevention, such as the NHS Innovation Accelerator, which I will talk about in further detail shortly, but also our NHS Diabetes Prevention Program and a series of other initiatives which are related to those themes. You just talked about the five-year forward view, and I'm going to include a link to that document in the show notes for anyone who has not had a chance to review that. Tell us a little bit about what the main points of that five-year forward view were. You just alluded to some of the programs that it outlined. Can you give us some insight into that particular document and some of the things that you're working on? 
Of course. So for background, the NHS has performed remarkably well over the past 15 years. Cancer survival is its highest ever. Elective surgery waiting times are down fourfold. Cardiovascular mortality is down 40% and public satisfaction has almost doubled in the past 15 years. But like every health system, the NHS is under pressure and that's due to a growing aging population with more long-term conditions coupled with more expensive treatments and technologies. And this has caused the emergence of three gaps, and that's how we framed it in the five-year forward view. A health and well-being gap, a care and quality gap, and a finance and efficiency gap. When it comes to health and well-being in England, there are now more overweight and obese people than ever before. One in five children um, are overweight or obese as they begin primary school, and that increases to one in three children as they leave primary school. Um, 18% of our population still smokes and alcoholism costs the NHS between three to five billion pounds every year. So those are some of the challenges we're facing when it comes to health and well-being. On the front of care and quality, there are still significant variations in terms of the patient care that people receive in different localities and regions in terms of their waiting times, in terms of patient outcomes. And we need to obviously try to focus on improving the equity with which people are able to experience healthcare in this country and try to address this gap when it comes to care and quality, thereby in turn reducing some of the variation across England for the health service. So that's the care and quality gap. And finally, when it comes to finance and efficiency, projections at the time suggested that there would be a £30 billion gap um, between the funding that the NHS receives and the cost of providing the current quality of care by 2020. Now, the government had committed to increasing NHS funding by £8 billion during that period. That still leaves £22 billion, which we need to try and overcome through efficiency savings. And so those are the three gaps that are outlined in the five-year forward view, a health and wellbeing gap, a care and quality gap, and a finance efficient and efficiency gap, which I think a lot of health systems are facing as well. It's interesting to hear you talk about the differential in quality because I know when I work with a lot of uh, American uh, companies and and colleagues and friends and family, they often think that NHS is very much equal across the board. Can you give us more illustration of how there is a differential between different populations or different locations? Yeah, I mean, so some, I mean, consequent upon the fact that England is heterogeneous in terms of socioeconomic groups, population density lifestyle, affluence, behavior change, each of these factors dramatically influences the health of a community or locality or in turn a region. And this in turn affects how a health system can respond and sometimes the type of quality of care that can be provided. Superimposed on that, there are in turn a variable amount or variable density of primary care centers and specialist services across England, which in turn means that there's undoubtedly going to be variation in the care that people receive. If you compare, let's say, a central London hospital to a GP practice in a rural part um, in the east of England, the types of services that are provided are going to be different. But that's something we need to try and support. We need to move away from a one-size-fits-all health system to something that's catered and tailored for local populations, depending on their respective communities their demands, the local infrastructure, the health system needs to knit into 
parts of the local ecosystem and local society to provide healthcare as well as it can there. And it's that tension between supporting local ecosystems versus having, versus having a national consistency in terms of the service that we provide because we are a national health service. That is a tension that we need to resolve um, going forward over the next few years, definitely by 2020. And that's definitely going to be one of the challenges we face. But I think heterogeneity is something that's built into this country just based upon its intrinsic uh, infrastructure and factors and also local populations, as you would see if you move from different states um, in the US. And so that's something that we need to try and address from a health system point of view so that everyone, regardless of which GP practice or A&E centre they go to in the NHS, they receive the same quality of care. You've outlined three areas there, health and well-being, care and quality, and finance and efficiency. So those are the three uh, main thrusts that need to be focused on to improve the NHS in England. What are some of the actions behind that? The three-pronged approach that we outlined there was, firstly, a radical upgrade in prevention, secondly, better integration of care, and thirdly, a focus, a real focus on efficiency. In terms of prevention, since then, we've launched an NHS diabetes prevention program, which identifies people at high risk of diabetes, um, places them on an evidence-based lifestyle modification program that aims to reverse that risk. Uh, in addition to a number of other initiatives we've now established to try and improve the health and well-being of the nation. When it comes to integration of care, we've launched 50 locations across England, uh, our so-called vanguards, and these are hotspots for better integration of care, essentially blending primary and specialist services, health and social care, mental and physical health. And these are backed by a significant amount of capital, but also flexibility in terms of how these components of the health system can work together, which is critical if we're going to adopt new ways of working, a new service model and new processes for patients to experience a better integrated service. And as I mentioned, the third part is efficiency. And here, this is where I really believe that innovation technology will have a key role to play because we need to provide better care at the same or reduced costs. And that's going to take us not doing things and improving things in an incremental manner, but having a very disruptive approach to healthcare, a radical way of thinking, new ways of working to support the improve, improvement in value that we need to deliver over the next five years to close this significant funding gap that I touched on previously. And I think there are real opportunities for innovation, given some of the key trends we're seeing in healthcare around genomics and personalized medicine, around data and digital, and also around hardware and wearables. We often hear the NHS getting slammed when, when you're in the UK, that, that you can't pick up a paper without finding some article about something that's negative about the NHS. But you've outlined many areas where things are really improving. Why don't you go into that prevention program? You said that this diabetes prevention program was launched. What does that entail and how is that actually making a difference to the objectives that were laid out in the five-year forward plan? Okay, so in this country, there are around 5 million people who are at high risk of diabetes, of type 2 diabetes specifically, which is consequent upon sometimes having or being overweight or obese, developing insulin resistance due to a poor diet, low amounts of physical activity and exercise. So these are definitely parts of a person's life that can be modified potentially if they have the right behavior change. 
So the diabetes prevention program itself was launched around a year ago. We had a handful of demonstrator sites, which we started with to try and deploy the program to learn from these locations what the most effective way of enrolling people at high risk of type 2 diabetes on this lifestyle modification program was. And recently, so just a month ago, we have now committed to a significant scaling of the program. So by 2020, we will enroll 100,000 people onto the NHS Diabetes Prevention Program, making it the largest diabetes prevention program or the and definitely the first diabetes prevention program nationwide at scale in the world, which will hopefully be a significant achievement and one that demonstrates our commitment to prevention. What's interesting is, though, we also want to try and explore how technology can be used to support this type of lifestyle modification. So as opposed to people having, let's say, a motivational interview with a therapist, with a nurse or with a doctor, why can't they have a digitally based lifestyle modification program and have group discussions with other people going through the program, in turn, through their smartphone or using their computer and monitor and track all of their progress using this digital platform? There are indeed a number of companies that provide such a service, um, including startups, and we're exploring how we can deploy similar technology as it could offer a far better patient experience, be more cost-effective for the NHS, and hopefully result in stronger lifestyle modification for patients and citizens who are in the program. Outstanding. That that sounds like a, a fantastic program with a very big ambitions for the country. And I imagine there's going to be a lot of learning that can be taken away and applied into other areas of the world, other healthcare systems, as they work to uh, combat diabetes as well. You mentioned technology there. I want to switch gears a little bit. You are the senior fellow for the CEO of NHS England. What exactly is that role? And what is it that you do in that capacity? So I spend a part of my time advising our CEO on decisions that we need to make when it comes to innovation technology. So that can be anything from how we commission, pay for, and interact with the pharmaceutical industry and pay for drugs. It could involve what we're going to do for the future of diagnostics, how we're going to try and digitalize parts of the NHS and introduce electronic medical records, all the way to how do we spread trial and tested innovations across the NHS so people can benefit from them. So it covers quite a broad spectrum in which I am essentially advising our CEO on quite significant strategic decisions in these spheres. At the same time, I also have quite a significant focus on delivery, so establishing key programs in this space and setting them up, focusing on operationalizing them and ensuring that they are delivering to a high standard so that they are reaching uh, patients effectively, but also it's cost-effective for the NHS and NHS England. Can you give us some examples of some of the innovations that you've seen and that you've helped to steward through the process? Yeah, so I was involved in building our accelerator in the NHS, which opened in July of last year with 17 companies and their respective founders or leaders who we called in the program fellows or NHS Innovation Accelerator Fellows. And I've been involved in supporting them to spread their try and tested innovations across the NHS. And this varies from an app for people with anxiety or depression so that they can use cognitive behavioral therapy on a digital platform to a health social network for patients to a 
device which re reduces complications from episiotomy from women who are delivering babies to a app that encourages children to brush their teeth and prevent them from having tooth decay. So it's a broad range of apps, devices and platforms that we are supporting using this accelerator. And they have, since nine months ago when we launched the program, we've supported these innovators in securing over 50 NHS contracts. And now they are in over, NH over 60 NHS organisations and have benefited over 3 million patients across the NHS, which is quite a significant number in a relatively short period of time. And I imagine as we learn more and more from working hand in hand with these innovators and these entrepreneurs, we will learn how to better unblock the barriers that they're facing and roll their, their technologies and innovations out to even more numbers of patients. Let's focus in a little bit in that area. So I work with some companies in the U.S. that are working to bring products outside the U.S., export them anywhere in the world, and often their eyes first turn towards Europe. And the discussions with them, they often first look at the U.K. as an opportunity for them to bring their their uh, products to market for a variety of reasons. Then ultimately, the discussion turns to the NHS and uh, as we start to go through some of the details, that it, it can often look quite complicated for companies that are based outside of the UK to come in. But even there are companies that are here based in the UK that often struggle to try to find the right way to plug in. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the opportunities that are available to help some of this new innovation from outside the UK as well as that's grown here and how they can interface and find opportunities to be successful? Of course. And we are very open to innovations and technologies from across the world um, to try and deploy in the NHS and improve care for our patients. So I mentioned the accelerator and shortly uh, towards the end of May, we will be opening a second round of applications for people who want to um, work with us and want to be included in the next year of the accelerator and its cohort. And there we will work hand in hand with innovators, entrepreneurs, companies to try and scale their tried and tested innovations across the NHS. In terms of other opportunities, there are quite a few. So we also have set up a handful of test beds across the NHS. These cover a population of around a million people each, and they are responsible for testing and deploying innovations in combination. So as opposed to just an app in isolation, it would be an app with a new monitoring device, with a new telemedicine or video consultation platform, with a new workforce model. And the focus of the test beds is to provide an agile health system that provides complementary changes to new types of innovations and technologies. Because sometimes when you use a technology, if the health system doesn't appropriately adapt, you can't realize the full potential and the full value that that innovation entails. An example of that could be if you have an outpatient clinic and you have a device that can prevent people from going to the outpatient clinic, if you don't have a modification in how that part of the health system operates and in turn allow clinicians to see how patients are doing in the community using the monitoring device, then it's not actually going to result in reduced utilization of the outpatient clinic. But by allowing our health system to be a bit more liquid in these test bed sites, we can better realize the true value of some of these technologies and products. So that's the test beds. We have also 15 AHSMs, academic health science networks across England, 
that cover the collective population of the country together. And their responsibility, or one of the responsibilities, is to serve as our interface with innovators and industry. So interested companies from outside of the country or inside can approach academic health science networks, and they will serve as portals by which they can engage with the NHS and local NHS infrastructure. And this is really important because they help to match up supply and demand. If you've got a solution or a new product, they will help find the hospital, GP practice, community centre or other NHS outlet which has the greatest demand for this. And that can radically accelerate your process or the, the speed by which you can reach patients and in, t- in turn improve the care that they receive, which is really important. So that's the, those are the academic health science networks. We also, as I mentioned before, have 50 vanguards across the country where we are trialling new ways of working. But critically, this is going to provide NHS staff with the headspace and the breathing space to deploy new ways of working and deploy new technologies. And so our vanguards will also serve as excellent places for deploying new types of technologies, which will complement better integration of care. And we will be launching a process shortly um, where different um, entrepreneurs, companies, innovators can apply to partner with us in deploying their technology-based solutions in these vanguards. So those are a few examples of the opportunities that people may be able to come across should they want to work with the NHS. Wow, that that's quite an extensive list, Ben. You've provided information about the accelerator. You've mentioned the test beds. How many test beds are there? Uh, so there are seven test beds in total. Two of those focus specifically on IoT, the Internet of Things. Okay, 15 AHSNs you've mentioned and 50 vanguards, which are trialing new ways of working. So maybe the issue isn't that there isn't enough opportunity to engage in, in the NHS here in the UK. Maybe it's that there's there's so many, it's a little bit confusing because you know, where do you start? How do you start to plug in? Can you give any advice to listeners about how they can start to understand all these different opportunities and where they should where they can find a way that they can fit in with it? So I would say that the first port of call, if you are an innovator, entrepreneur, would be the academic health science networks that I mentioned, the AHSNs. And examples of that could be the Yorkshire and Humber AHSN, which covers that respective geography, the UCL Partners AHSN, which covers Northeast London. There are, as I mentioned, 15 of them covering different geographies. And depending on the geography that you want to approach, you can contact that respective AHSN. Okay. And what about the accelerator? Let's go into a little bit more detail there. You mentioned that you're going to be opening up the application process in May. What exactly is the accelerator? Is it a physical space? Do people stay resident wherever they are when they apply? Are you accepting UK and non-UK applicants? Is there any money involved? Give me some more detail, please. So we are open to innovators from within the UK, but also outside. And in terms of what we provide, we provide them with mentorship, national support, regional partnership by matching them with a regional AHSN. We provide them with a very high level mentor who's been there and done it, who's deployed their innovation technology in the past. And we do provide them with a small degree of funding. But I would say that the primary thrust of the accelerator is to support these innovators in spreading their innovations across the NHS, and in turn, the reimbursement that they gain from spreading would probably be helpful in them 
um, gaining revenue, um, and which is why we have we don't have a significant focus on funding ourselves. And the accelerator is equity free as well. Okay, how long does it last? It's a year long program, so we support the innovators and their companies for a whole year. We don't place any restrictions on physical space. We can help identify location should you want it, but. Given that we're trying to support spread across all of England, we support you wherever you want to go. The applications are opening at the end of May, so we'll certainly help spread the word about that. That's just a few weeks away. And what sorts of solutions, what sorts of companies would fit the profile for applying for this program? So I think it's important to look at our five-year forward view and see what the priorities are of the NHS. And in turn, if your company and your product aligns with that, then I think you'd be eligible. In general, we are looking for quite mature innovations, so products that have been evaluated already and do demonstrate a degree of cost-benefit for the health system. We see the true value of this is that patients across the NHS will have access to the latest technologies and improved quality of care. And so if you can demonstrate that you're able to provide that, that you have a plan or an approach for working with parts of the NHS, then we'd be very happy to look at your application and consider you for the accelerator. We haven't talked about the regulatory and the reimbursement framework in the UK. Can you give me any insight about how these different innovation programs are working with organizations like NICE and how we're actually able to, to bring these products to market and into use? Yes, yeah, so we are working extremely closely with NICE, the CQC, and other national bodies who are responsible for ensuring that the care that's provided is above um, and exceeding a certain standard. The NHS Accelerator is also plugging into the AAR, which is the Accelerated Access Review. And this is a complete end-to-end approach and review of the innovation landscape in the UK, from regulation to discovery of innovations to their deployment adoption and utilization. And the results of this review and its outputs will come up, will be published later this year. And that will really set the direction for how innovations are regulated, but also how they're reimbursed, how they are deployed in the NHS and across this country. How would you characterize some of the differences between the US and the UK in terms of healthcare innovation? The US is fantastic, particularly the East and West Coast, when it comes to building startups, growing early stage companies, um, having lots of young, bright minds working together um, from a very early age and has a fantastic entrepreneurial spirit that I think every country can learn from. At the same time, I think this is something that's really growing in England and in Europe. One real strength that the UK has when it comes to healthcare innovation is when it comes to AI and deep learning. So Google DeepMind is based in London, and London, along with Oxford, Cambridge, and a number of other centres, are world leaders when it comes to machine learning um, algorithms and teaching, training, growing cohorts of computer scientists. And I really believe that the UK has the potential to be a global capital for artificial intelligence, particularly in healthcare. And I really look forward to seeing how that progresses over the next few years.
I know you've created a document called Innovation into Action, which is around supporting delivery of that five-year forward view you mentioned earlier in the program. It's a 32-page document. It'll be available for listeners to download through the website. Can you just give us a, a little idea about what people will find in there and how they can apply what's contained in that document? So this is an overview of everything that we are doing when it comes to innovation technology at NHS England. And it's a really helpful way to try and navigate your way through the opportunities that I mentioned, depending on what stage your innovation or your group, organization or company are at. And I think that can be extremely helpful for addressing some of the issues that you mentioned, Dan, earlier on, whereby we have a number of initiatives, each of which can be tremendously helpful for an innovator. But quite frankly, it determines what their respective stage is, and in turn, what they're looking to gain from the program. So it's like an index. Um, it's a quick summary of everything we have on offer, but also with a cohesive narrative, which outlines how it's all put together. I've got it open in front of me here, and I see it's got some great information in terms of the maps, uh, breaking down some of the uh, the demonstrators, the diabetes demonstrators you talked about before, and the, the vanguards, and gives a lot of the detail going into some more information that we've already covered in this program and, and gives you more ideas on how to access that. So I'll make sure that's available for listeners of the program. Excellent. Thank you. Just going to move into the lightning round and ask you a few questions that I'd like to ask all the guests on the program. Ben, can you explain why it is that you chose to pursue a career in health? Yeah, so I did some work experience when I was 16 years old in a hospital with a junior doctor um, uh, on a cardiology ward, and I loved it. I loved and still love um science and seeing it in action, seeing it work to try and improve people's lives is just extremely fulfilling. So that's why I decided to pursue a career in health. What's the best advice you've ever received? This could be a quote, a saying, a lyric, or something that someone just passed along to you. Chance favors the prepared mind. And that's by Louis Pasteur. And that's always really stuck with me. So being as prepared as you can for the opportunities before you is something that shouldn't be understated. If you could recommend one book, what would it be and why? I really enjoyed reading The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. The whole approach that Tim Ferriss outlined in that book was really helpful in how I approached all of the activities that I was doing and in turn increasing my own productivity and that of the people around me. What technology, resource, tool or app has made your life easier or better and that you would highly recommend to the audience? So I really enjoy using Slack. Slack is an excellent way of keeping an eye on what's going on in different pots um, all at the same time and managing things as efficiently as you can. In appreciation of your participation on this podcast, I'm going to make a donation to a charity of your choice. Which charity have you chosen and why? So I've chosen Age UK, which is the largest UK charity supporting older people. And this is because I think their work is great, but also... We, are, we have a growing aging population. Uh, one in three people born today will live to over the age of 100. And it's really important that we support this segment of our population as well as we can, that we prevent them from becoming isolated, but allow them to continue to be healthy and to live enjoyable lives that they want to. Great. Well, thanks for choosing that. And we'll make sure we get a donation over and include a link to that charity on the podcast notes as well. Ben, I really appreciate you taking time to join the, the podcast and speak to our audience, share some insights around what's happening in the NHS in the UK. Can you give the listeners a few tips on how they can follow you or uh, stay informed about the, the projects that you're working on? Yes. Yeah, so um, I've got a Twitter feed that's 
M underscore Marukapu, which is my last name, and I'm sure that will be written somewhere on the podcast because it can be difficult to spell. I also have a blog on the Huffington Post and write very frequently for the HSJ, which is the Health Services Journal in the UK, in addition to the NHS England blog. So each of those would be a means by which you can keep track of some of the work that I'm doing. My email address is my first name dot my last name at nhs.net so that's mahiben.marathapu at nhs.net thanks a lot ben for joining us and maybe we'd like to have you back in a, a few months time to give us some more insight about how the accelerated program is going with the next class and uh, any other future developments does that sound good sounds great we'd love to do that thank you dan all right thank you ben and that brings us to the end of episode five i hope you enjoyed these insights into the activities that are in place at the nhs to support innovation in healthcare. There's clearly a lot of activity to improve and strengthen the NHS. In fact, there's so much activity, you'll need that guide, which is available on our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash five. That's the number five. There are more great guests in store in the coming weeks, so be sure never to miss an episode by subscribing to this podcast in iTunes and joining our newsletter. In the coming weeks, I'll also be bringing you a variety of speakers from the Health 2.0 meeting being held in Barcelona. That event features keynotes by true visionaries of health tech like investor Esther Dyson, practicing surgeon and digital health pioneer Dr. Rafael Grossman, and many others. I'll also be speaking with several of the digital health startups that are demonstrating their solutions on stage, as well as speaking to the pharma leaders who are working to reinvent the pharmaceutical industry by increasing engagement with patients and their collaboration with doctors and nurses. As always, thanks for your support, and until next time, keep on innovating.